1: which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
2: Welcome back to the story of Shasta County. Last we left off, it was about to be election day there. The June 7th, 2022 primary. Would Shasta's far-right movement get more of their candidates into county government? That was the question on our minds when my producer Kathleen and I drove to Shasta County on election day. We hit the ground and started talking to voters.
1: I think Shasta County kind of has gotten extreme,
3: extreme, extreme right. I think in the past I voted a lot more for change. I
4: think I'm voting now more for stability. Well, it, what they're teaching the kids
5: in schools, uh, I, I don't agree with that.
4: To be honest, I'm a little scared of the, um, of the non-gun control that's around. I don't, I don't want to get away, you know, do away with anybody's guns, but I, I
2: think there should be some kind of control with all the children getting killed. I don't really get too much into
1: it. I don't pay too close attention.
2: It was clear that folks were thinking about a lot of hot-button topics, but not much about Shasta's recent political turmoil. While some people we talked to understood that local politics had recently shifted hard to the right, a lot of folks seemed pretty unaware of what was happening in their own backyard. That's not unusual, but it did kind of surprise me because of what a huge deal the recall had been. It had been two years of chaos and I wondered how much of an appetite voters had for more. But what unfolded over the two days we spent in Shasta took us in a wildly different direction from what we expected. For one thing, there was so much mistrust. In government, in media, in elections. What I saw shook me, and I want to tell you all about it especially as we head into the U.S. midterms. This is Bedrock USA, a podcast about political extremism, small-town life, and the fight for democracy. I'm your host, Laura Bliss. Real quick, let me just remind you of what was at stake in Shasta's June 7th primary. On the ballot were two openings on the Board of County Supervisors. There were also several county department leaders up for re-election, including the sheriff, the school superintendent, and the county clerk. A slate of candidates, backed by many of the same folks who led the recall, was running for all of these posts. If they won in a clean sweep, far-right candidates would hold nearly all elected positions in Shasta County. And the existing majority on the Board of Supervisors, which had already voted to lift the pandemic state of emergency and to fire the county health officer, could be deepened. On the other hand, moderates and incumbents were also running for the same spots. And if they won, it might send a message that the far-right wasn't as powerful as it seemed. Kathy Darling Allen was one of those incumbents. She was the Shasta County clerk, which meant she oversaw elections. Kathy was running to be re-elected for the fifth time in 18 years. A few days before the primary, I called her up to see how she was doing. And Kathy was worried. Not so much about her opponent or her chances of winning, but about the election in general. I, um,
4: I'm i worried. I'm worried about our community. I'm worried about, you know, at the national level, the messaging that we see um, around the election uh, in 2020 and what that means for elections administration going forward, including the primaries and the general election that's going to happen later this year. I have been called a liar a lot in the last two years, more than the last two years in
2: my entire life combined. And that's tough. And I'm I'm not a liar. Kathy had been called a liar because a lot of people in Shasta didn't trust the work she did. And it's not just where she lives. Claims of election fraud have been sweeping the country, amplified by Donald Trump. Claims that judges and elections experts have dismissed again and again as lacking evidence. Yet a majority of Republican voters still question the 2020 election results. And those doubts are affecting how people view their hometown election workers. People like Kathy. Hi. 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 Just wondering if either of you interested in chatting with us about... What brought you out and- we met some election doubters. Outside one polling location, a fire station, Kathleen and I talked to a woman named Ronin Lund, who was volunteering as an election observer that day. She was deeply concerned about election integrity and recommended I watch a documentary that claimed the 2020 election was stolen. You need to watch it. Yeah, you need to watch it because, you know, they
3: they have definitive proof of ballot box stuffing. And, you know, I uh, that's why I'm observing today is because I feel like we have an election integrity problem. And I don't care who gets voted in
2: as long as it was a fair election and we had right. election integrity. That's
0: exactly right. Yeah. This
2: documentary she's talking about It was referenced numerous times in the January 6th hearings. It's called 2000 Mules, and it uses cell phone location data and Dropbox surveillance footage to raise doubts about Trump's election loss. In fact, Trump himself has promoted the film. But experts who've reviewed the documentary have concluded that the claims just don't hold up to scrutiny— Ronine still had grave misgivings. When I asked her if she'd spotted any problems in the election she was observing, she pointed to a few hiccups that she said were resolved. But she was still sure that there were deeper problems with the system. At 8 o'clock, polls closed. Jeremy Edwardson, the producer of Red, White & Blueprint, the YouTube series that had followed and promoted the recall campaign, had invited us to an election party for the candidates backed by the Liberty Committee. That was the pack that had formed to support the far-right contenders. Its website declared, Our country is under assault. It's time to take it back, one state, county, and city at a time. After the break, we hit the election party, and the night takes a turn.
1: You know success when you see it.
2: a gym owned by a prominent recall supporter. We went inside to look for Jeremy. Tons of people had gathered to watch the results come in. The energy was buzzy, celebratory, and people were drinking pretty heavily. A giant American flag hung on the back wall. We didn't see Jeremy, but we did immediately spot Patrick Jones— He was in the back of the room, near a big-screen TV that showed live election coverage, holding a microphone like he was about to speak. Now, you may remember Patrick. He was one of the most outspoken county supervisors who'd supported the recall. I talked to him at the political fundraiser we'd been to a few months earlier. He'd cracked a joke about how they wouldn't execute any journalists there. At the time, Patrick told me how excited he was that the recall had succeeded and that people in Shasta County were finally taking action to shake up their government. Patrick was a big supporter of the Liberty Committee candidates and was confident about their chances when we last talked. So we approached him to chat. But he refused. And he immediately told us we had to leave.
4: We need truth here tonight, and you guys aren't part of it. You never have been. You're irrelevant. Let's go. Let's we're go. We're just trying to get answers. Let's go. Let's day. go. Come on.
2: Patrick physically escorted us to the door. People were staring. It felt really uncomfortable that deep mistrust of us as journalists. To be honest, we were relieved when we got outside. We were trying to decide whether or not to leave when Jeremy spotted us. Hey, Jeremy. Did you How's get it going? Out?
1: We, did. <laughs> we did. We were escorted we out. It's
4: that's okay.
2: ridiculous.
3: You
1: know, yeah.
3: I just told all of them that you are my guest, and that they should let you back in. I
4: don't think I
3: I'll keep working on it because that's ridiculous.
2: He was apologetic, and we stayed chatting with him in the parking lot for a while. He had just wrapped up the finale of the Red, White, and Blueprint docu series. And aired it at a special event in Humboldt County, California, where another group was trying to grow a similar movement.
4: I'm glad that people finally care about local politics. That's why I started this whole thing with Red, White & Blueprint documentary. My goal was to wake people up to the needle they could actually move instead of just focusing on the presidency. And I've seen that. It's it's really, really encouraging to see people finally care. I'm just excited that people are standing up and, and actually caring about local government.
2: Around this time, I checked my phone to see if any early returns had started to come in. They had, and they did not look good, for the Liberty Committee candidates. Most of them were losing substantially. Outside in the parking lot, though, the mood didn't change. Not yet. People still seemed to be in a party spirit. So Kathleen and I left to go grab some dinner. But that's when we missed some pivotal action. Because while we were eating, folks at Country Strong Fitness evidently saw the results. And some of them decided to leave the party and to head downtown straight to the county elections office. By now, it was around 10 o'clock. The ballots had all been collected from drop boxes and precincts. Workers were starting to tabulate the votes and posting results online. Kathy Darling Allen, the county clerk, was overseeing things. Like me, most of the reporters who'd been on the ground all day had already left. Ballot counting takes a while and would continue for several more days. That's the norm for these kinds of elections. But Donnie Chamberlain, the local journalist you've heard in earlier episodes, was still working. She was at the elections office, taking notes for her report. Later, she told us about what happened that night.
3: I was just kind of still hanging around. I had this feeling like it wasn't over yet. And Kathy Darling came out to the lobby and she said to me, who wants a scoop? And I said, I do. She goes, follow me. So we went through the Elections Department, through the back door, into the alley, which was all dark. And all the precinct vehicles are lined up, you know, making their drop-offs of ballots. And she points to a, it's a, trail, it's a game trail camera hidden in a tree right pointing directly at the back door of the Elections Department. And um, she said, as far as they knew, it wasn't there before. You could see freshly cut branches where they got, you know, they have fixed it. And we still don't know who put it there. But so that was kind of the first thing. It was kind of bizarre.
2: A trail camera, the kind that hunters and scientists use to take animal photos in the wild, was pointing at the back door of the elections office. That is pretty bizarre. Clearly, someone didn't trust what was happening inside, Donnie said. Then, the crew from the party rolled up. According to Donnie, they said they were there to observe the count, but some of them got confrontational.
3: They're all walking very rapidly toward the back door, which is open for workers. Kathy Darling is still standing there because she was talking about the camera. Normally, she wouldn't have been out there in the alley. I suspect she had other stuff to do. And this group came up, and they started basically verbally assaulting Kathy
2: Darling Allen who, of course, is a city clerk and registrar of voters. One of them, Donnie said, got right in Kathy's face.
3: You know, at one point he's standing so close to her that she is saying, Are you gonna touch me? I mean, just back up. Are you gonna touch me? And he's he was
2: quite agitated. These election observers eventually moved upstairs to the area where ballots were being processed. But according to Donnie, they weren't just observing. They were disrupting the process, challenging Kathy on the way she was doing her job, and getting in the way of staff. Later, I talked to Kathy about this night. She said it was all pretty upsetting and counterproductive to what she was trying to accomplish. It's bizarre because their
4: concern is that we're not going to count the ballots. And I don't think they quite understand that what's happening right now is actually slowing down the count. We're not going to count things faster Um, with all these distractions. So we will count as fast as we can count and we'll process as fast as we can process um, with their observation.
2: Kathy stayed at the office until almost 3 a.m. By that point, she said there were still observers on site. A few of them spent the night in folding chairs outside. And yet, throughout the whole ordeal, Kathy said she did her best to remain calm. It wasn't always easy, but she tried to answer questions plainly to provide accurate information. She really wanted to connect. It's
4: almost like, you know, one voter, one person at a time, we have to convert and, and reassure and reassess and talk about their concerns, you know, this whole process um, of, of people reading bad and false information online. Is, is is my my assumption that that's where most of this is coming from i'm about stuff that happened in other
2: states and do you feel like you had any of those were those conversations successful with any of the folks you talked to last night or or the recall in, individually
4: i think so um but honestly you know are they placating me and smiling and smiling nodding i don't know I don't know these people really personally, you know, so I just have no way to judge whether we've been effective or not. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to try. Engendering um, trust in the process is a, a huge priority for us. And, you know, one of the ways we know being uh, condescending, being um, shaming people for having believed things about the 2020 election um, is not going to. Um, help them change their mind, right?
2: Yet the onslaught of doubt and denial was having an impact. It was demoralizing, Kathy said. And that's a widespread feeling in her field right now. In one recent national survey, one in five local election officials said they were likely to quit before 2024. The credibility of elections and the people who facilitate them are under attack
5: And I am the executive director of the Democracy Program at the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington, D.C.
2: I called up Matthew to hear more about how election denialism and conspiracy theories are affecting the voting process and democracy overall. In many states and counties, the laws around election observation are pretty fuzzy, he said. And people who don't have all the information about what's going on can easily misinterpret what they're seeing. And that really keeps them up at night.
5: I think the laws are still very gray on what is allowable, the capacity, how many people you can have. And certainly what we learned in 2020 was that observation without any kind of training or context provided by people who know what they're looking at leads to misinformation.
2: Matthew gave the example of Fulton County, Georgia, where Trump supporters used video footage of a pair of election workers, a mother and daughter named Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, to spread lies about election fraud. Afterwards, those women, who recently testified in the January 6 hearings, were targeted and harassed relentlessly. They received death threats. One of their homes was broken into This is what Matthew was worried about.
5: Now this thread of distrust if my candidate loses, and so the election officials are bearing the brunt of those threats. And since 2020, we've seen a huge amount of turnover in those local election officials.
2: Not only is there turnover among these officials, but some of the folks running to take their places are themselves election deniers, Matthew said. Even though the laws and provisions around election integrity have only gotten stronger, not weaker, over the last two decades. But he doesn't expect the lies and conspiracy theories to go away anytime soon. If people keep losing faith in the system, things could get really ugly, he said.
5: If people don't have confidence in the basic premise that the people who are in office are there legitimately um the the laws they pass the policies they make are kind of by default not legitimate either and that that's a pretty dangerous spiral so i I do think that we've taken our elections for granted you know for most of our history for over 200 years i think there's been a surge since you know florida in 2000 to to focus a lot more on it to professionalize the field and we've been doing that Uh, but we are under attack again and i don't think that anyone will like the results of a nation that cannot trust their election apparatus. Um, because it just gonna lead to you know the, the kind of death spiral of democracy that we don't we don't want to enter into
2: when Kathleen and I woke up and learned what happened the night before, we jumped in the car to head back to the Shasta County elections office. Soon after we got there, a group of women showed up to observe the count. Staff members opened the doors to the building and gave us all visitor badges, and we followed the group inside to the room where the ballots were being sorted. This room, it was kind of amazing. There were stacks of bins filled with ballots dropped off the night before. Workers were opening them up and counting the number of ballots. They were pulling off the special tabs that covered voters' signatures so they could run them through a sorting machine called the Agilis. This all had to happen before the actual votes were counted by another machine, but that was in a different room upstairs, which the election staff lovingly called the Bat Cave. They're trying to just
4: take in all the supplies. So all the supplies from the poll workers that were dropped off last night, they have to organize all those, and then they're taking them upstairs to the warehouse upstairs that holds all the supplies for the polling places upstairs. When we keep
2: going, that was Anna Rodriguez, an election office staffer, who explained all of this. She'd been working there nearly 15 years, and she fielded many questions from the group of observers. It seemed like people genuinely wanted to understand the process. One woman asked about the bins. Did election workers only break the seals on them? Once they're ready to process the ballots inside. Once they wait until they need to process it. Correct. Because there's a control sheet on top of that bin. And so we just want to make sure it's telling us where those came from, right? So we we don't want to conglomerate everything. We want to make sure that that bin is processed and done before we open the next bin. For the most part, things were pretty cordial between Anna and this group of observers. She was patient. Matter of fact. Friendly. But... It was clear that not everyone in the room really trusted the process. At one point, one observer asked Anna about a set of bins that she believed was missing. It turned out everything was where it was supposed to be, but it was a tense moment. Soon after that, a familiar face walked in Richard Gallardo, the guy we'd met manning the security booth outside the political fundraiser you heard in an earlier episode. He was here to observe the ballot count. And he'd been here yesterday, too. You were here can, last night, right? Was
3: I was best. here all day yesterday. Okay. I was here last night. I watched the drama, yeah, unfortunately.
4: <laughs> so, um, some people are just very passionate, you know what I mean? I was very passionate about election integrity.
2: So. Richard told us he had a lot of concerns. He thought it was a conflict of interest, for Kathy Darling-Allen to run for clerk while also overseeing the election. He thought she should recuse herself. Though, when I asked Kathy about this later, she told me this scenario is perfectly legal under state law. But Richard didn't like that Kathy followed other California election laws, like providing ballot drop boxes, which he thought increased the potential for fraud even though there's no evidence for that. I'm
3: not saying the fraud happens under her watch, but she's aware that the fraud is increased if she follows all of the laws, even though she has discretion to not follow some of them. That is the big problem with Kathy Allen.
2: We said goodbye to Richard to head upstairs with the rest of the group to another ballot counting room. And I thought about his fear that fraud could occur, even if it wasn't. I wondered how Anna felt as she fielded all these questions. We rode in the elevator with her while others took the stairs. It's a tough spot because you're serving your community and, you know, you know what you know. But it's good. I'm glad folks are here and glad they're asking questions. I think it's important. We're doing it for them. Do you feel like the conversations, this relationship you're building is, is helping? I hope so. It's hard though because you don't know um, their
4: version of it when they leave. So you hope what you're seeing is what. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. All right, guys. So
2: here's what's up. Here. Up on the second floor, we stood with the observers for a while, looking through the plexiglass window into the bat cave where people's votes actually get counted. Witnessing this all, it was kind of profound. There was such a ritual to it, so many specially ordained bins and tables and rooms. It was like being inside the inner sanctum of democracy. You couldn't get any closer. And yet, even being that close to the source of their uncertainty, observers we met still had doubts. They just couldn't fully trust what they were seeing, even with their own eyes. In July, the final results were tallied and the county certified the election. For almost all of the positions, clerk, superintendent, DA, sheriff, the incumbents won with big majorities that met the far-right candidates lost. In the end, maybe a lot of Shasta County voters were sick of the political drama Or another explanation, a lot of folks might have just picked the most familiar names. It's common for voters to favor incumbents. But folks continued to question those results. At county board meetings and on social media, some of the same folks we'd met inside the elections office, and who'd been there the night before, expressed they still weren't confident in the process. And there were also two races that would go to a runoff in November. And those were the two seats on the county board. If the Liberty Committee candidates won either of them, the Board of Supervisors would retain its far-right majority. Clearly, Shasta's wild ride wasn't over yet. All through this series, we've been asking one big question. How are extremist ideologies reshaping life in local communities. I've gotten a lot of answers. I've seen how conspiracy theories and radical ideologies disrupt the normal functions of local government. I've seen how threats and intimidation silence neighbors. And I've seen how confrontations and harassment are pushing elected officials and civil servants to the brink. All throughout One major theme has permeated this story, and that is mistrust. Mistrust in government, in media, in science. We've seen how that mistrust drove large numbers of people to reject pandemic guidelines, to reject the 2020 election results, and to reject mainstream news sources. And at the local level, in the stories you've just heard, we've also seen how it causes people to reject each other. So is it possible to rebuild that trust? I don't know the answer to that question, but when I asked Kathy about all the scrutiny that she and her staff are facing right now, she said something interesting. For all the harm created by the mistrust and doubt, she also thought there was a tiny silver lining we need people to get off the couch and pay attention to what government's doing at all levels. That's,
4: that's not a bad thing. Sometimes I don't think this group understands that I'm with them on that. I'm a citizen here, too. I'm a taxpayer here. I'm a voter here in this community. I don't want people doing backroom deals and um, being unethical in power. That's not okay. Maybe that's why I'm so willing to kind of go over and above... And explain and explain and walk around and explain and talk. You know, I I just, I really, really want folks to understand how this process works and, and to know that they're included. They have to be included.
2: All people, Kathy said, are part of the process. Because that's how democracy works. That's the system she believes in and will fight for, so long as she's county clerk, she said. On the other hand just because you can participate in democracy doesn't give you a free pass to try and tear it down. When I spoke to her a few weeks later, Kathy told me that in the next election, she's going to spend less time giving attention to anyone who tries to attack her office. Because she started to accept that she and her staff can't reach everybody. No matter how patient and informative they are, She said she can't compete with the louder voices, the ones who are falsely claiming that elections cannot be trusted. Right now, those kinds of claims could be leading the United States to a scary place. And it's striking how it only takes a small group to spread ideas like that. Democracy is surprisingly pliable, isn't it? It's so easily bent and reshaped by the people with the loudest voices. And the deepest pockets. But it also means that, at least at the local level, it can be bent back. That concludes this part of the series. We're going to leave the stories of Squim and Shasta there for now. We'll be back in the fall with more episodes of Bedrock USA. But sadly, I won't be back to host them. I'm going to do a year-long journalism fellowship at MIT. For the next year, I'll be studying the science of cities alongside an amazing cohort of fellow reporters. But you'll be in great hands with our team of Bloomberg journalists and producers. From the bottom of my heart, thank you to everyone who has listened and supported the series. You can find me on Twitter at Ms. Laura Bliss. This episode was reported and hosted by me, Laura Bliss. Kathleen Quillian is our senior producer. Samantha Story is our story editor and executive producer. We had additional editing help from Nicole Flato. Original music and scoring by Zachary Walter and audio engineering by Blake Maples. Jennifer Sondag is head of Bloomberg City Lab. Bedrock USA is a production of Bloomberg City Lab and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through? I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
5: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
1: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny.